Connie mentioned, we're going to be looking at part of the life of Moses this morning. And I would really encourage you to read at some point today at least the first four chapters. We can't cover all of that. We're going to be covering much of three and four. But one and two, while familiar to us, I think are good just simply to read in, in one swoop. But for right now, we'll turn to the second chapter, and starting at verse 11, and read down through verse 6 of chapter 3. Let's hear this word of the Lord from the book of Exodus, chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to the rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him. They have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. All right, time for a little bit of honesty here. How many of you, either because you were under pressure or you knew you'd be in trouble if you didn't, have made an excuse for something you did or didn't do? How many of you have ever used an excuse? 
A few of you need to come up with an excuse for not raising your hand right now, I can tell you that. <laughs> We're all familiar with excuses. We've used many of them in our lifetime. Frustrated with excuses people gave for not attending church, Pastor Greg Gearing developed an analogy comparing attendance, non-attendance at football games with non-attendance at church. He calls it 10 reasons for never attending another game. Excuse number one, I was taken to too many games by my parents when I was growing up. Number two, it seems that the games are always scheduled when I want to do other things. Three, every time I go to a football game, somebody asks for money. Four, although I go to the game often, most of the people aren't even friendly enough to speak to me. Five, seats are too hard and uncomfortable. Besides, I often have to sit right down in front on the 50-yard line. Six, I suspect that there are a lot of hypocrites sitting nearby who come to see their friends and what others are wearing rather than to see the game. Seven, referee says things I don't agree with. Eight, the band plays songs that I've never heard before. Nine, some games last too long and I'm late getting home. Ten, I have a book on football. I can stay at home and read it. Ah, excuses. I think it summarized best the story of the farmer who asked his neighbor if he could borrow a rope. Sorry, said the neighbor. I'm using the rope to tie up my milk. First farmer said, Milk? Rope doesn't tie up milk. His neighbor said, Yeah, I know, but when someone doesn't want to do something, one excuse is as good as another. That, it seems to me, is a description of Moses' responses to the call of God. And that's what we want to look at this morning. So let's set the stage. We learned the before in Exodus 1 and 2. Joseph had died, and a new king had come to power in Egypt. The new king didn't know Joseph. And you might recall in Genesis that the king of Egypt knew the blessings that Joseph brought both to Israel but also to Egypt. But the new king didn't know that. All he knew was what he quickly learned, and that is that the Israelite women were having lots of babies, and he feared that eventually they would be more populous and therefore more powerful than Egypt. So he did a couple of things. The first thing he did was increase oppression and make their slavery even harder. And then he also said that any Israelite male baby born was to be killed. Now most of us know that story well. We, we learn it in the early years of Sunday school. But for our purposes here now, we just need to remember that Moses was spared when he was born and eventually became the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he grew up and was raised in royalty. He had been in royalty at this point for 40 years. But one day, as we read, in a fit of anger, he killed an Egyptian. And he wound up fleeing to Midian, where he spent his life tending sheep. That's the before. Then God called. Verses 1 to 4 of chapter 3, we begin the, the after in Moses' life. Moses is now 80 years old, still tending sheep. And he saw this bush burning, but yet it wasn't being consumed. It wasn't burning up, and so he went over to check it out. And there God spoke to him. Chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. 
I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. Go, Moses. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Wow. Up to this point, he was content in being a shepherd, and now he had an opportunity to be used powerfully by God. I wonder, how would you like to have God call you for such a task? Would you jump at the opportunity? Moses just wasn't so sure about this whole thing. And we need to consider his responses to God, his excuses, if you will, to understand his hesitancy, but also, I think, to better understand ourselves. So let's look at his excuses. Excuse number one, Moses' first response arose from doubt. Inquired of God, chapter 3, verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He wondered about his qualifications, but the wording here shows that this is not humility, it's self-depreciation, which represents his lack of faith in God calling him in the first place. And it's amazing to me how often in Scripture people first resist God's call for that reason. For example, God said to Gideon, go and deliver Israel. And he responded, how can I? My clan is the smallest. God went to a young man named Jeremiah and called him to, to be his prophet. And Jeremiah said, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. But that raises an interesting question. Have you ever doubted God when he called you? God, I, I've never done this before. I'm not qualified or cut out for this, God. Kylie or Pastor Curry or Pastor Kevin or, or Don or Ed or Mark, or, they're better qualified for this than I am, God. Thanks for thinking of me, God, but no thanks. But notice God promises his presence. Verse 12 is his response. I will be with you. God will be where we are. And that's all that matters. No matter where we are, no matter where God leads us, no matter what the circumstances, God will be with us. And if God is with us, who can ever be against us or defeat us? We may feel inadequate, but God is with us. We may feel insecure, but God is with us. We may feel all alone, but God is with us. We need not doubt God's calls. We can rely upon His presence. We know so because centuries later, during another dark and dreary time, another man stepped forth. His name was Emmanuel, God with us. And through Jesus, God still speaks to us. Do not fear. I am with you and always will be. All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You will not be one second without my companionship. You will not experience one difficulty without my cooperation. You will not face any Red Sea without my pathway spreading before you. You will not travel one inch of wilderness without the angel of my presence. 
We can go where God wants us to go and we can do what God wants us to do. But Moses had a second excuse. I call this one identity. He was speaking personally with God in this marvelous experience of the burning bush. He had the advantage of this this marvelous encounter. He knew for sure that this was truly God, but he wondered how he could ever convince others that God had appeared to him in this way. But in reality, he was reluctant to trust God. Starting verse 13 of the third chapter, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then, what shall I tell them? In other words, what if the Israelites want to know that they can depend on you, God? What if they want to know more about you? They don't know you like I do. They haven't had this experience. They haven't had my experience. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to relate it. But have you ever told God you don't know what to say? God, people may ask questions about you that, that I'm not prepared to answer. I'm not good at evangelism. I'm, I'm not good at sharing. My life story is not convincing. It's, it's too plain, too simple, too ordinary. But notice God promises his personality. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. It's not who we are. It's who God is that matters. I am what I am. What does that mean? He is that he is. He will be who he will be. Literally, it means I am he who will make things happen. God will make a way. We know because centuries later, another man was asked his identity. And in John 8.58, we read, Jesus responded, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born... I am. Jesus claimed he was the I am, that he was God. What we need, God will be. Are you in darkness? I am the light of the world. Are you hungry and empty? I am the bread of life. Are you defenseless and anxious? I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Are you tired and weary? I am Shiloh the rest giver. Are you impotent, overwhelmed by life? I'm the true vine. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Are you afraid? I am. Fear not. You feel inadequate. I will never fail you. You feel insecure. I am the first and the last and the living one. You feel uncertain about the direction of your life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. When God calls, we have divine authority. Twenty-two times in the Gospel of John, Jesus assumed divine authority over sin, sickness, sadness, and death. Each of Jesus' miracles, each of his I Am statements assures us that he shares his authority with us. We might not be great, but God is. We might not have influence, but God does. 
We might not be worthy of respect, but God is. We might not have the skills or knowledge needed, but God does. We might not have the power to do what God asks, but God does. God is not looking for extraordinary people. God is looking for ordinary people who will trust an extraordinary God. It's an issue of personality that matters. And we have his. Yet Moses still wasn't ready to say yes. So he used another excuse, the excuse of powerlessness. Chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Moses was convinced that he would never be able to convince the Israelites that God would do something through him. And yet sometimes we think that people will never believe that God would do extraordinary things through us. Either because they know us too well and they say, I know you, God would never use you in that way. Or because they don't know us well enough and say, why should I believe you? But it's not our power. It's God's power that matters. God said to Moses, starting verse 2 of chapter 4, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. God was asking Moses to throw down the most important and most common possession, his shepherd's staff. It's what all shepherds used. It's the way they made their living. But that's what God wanted, so God asked Moses for what he had. God will never ask you for what you do not have. You always have that for which he asks. Think about it. For over 75 years, God has never asked Hope Church for something she did not have. Every time he asked you and challenged you, you've had what he wanted. Sometimes he had to multiply it, but first you had to give it to him. And when you did, it happened. When Moses released his staff to God, he didn't lose it. He got it back with divine power. With the staff, he parted the Red Sea. With the staff, he brought water from a rock. With the staff, he led people to the brink of the promised land. Now, we may never part a Red Sea, but we may clear the way for people to come into the presence of Christ. We may not strike water from a rock, but we may feed hungry children and families. We may not conquer enemy armies, but we may remove obstacles and overcome those things which tend to block the flow of blessing. I love how the late Francis Schaeffer put it. As the rod of Moses had to become the rod of God, so that which is me must become the me of God. Then he continued, Then I can become useful in God's hands. The scripture teaches that much can come from little if the little is truly consecrated to God. There are no little people and no big people in the true spiritual sense, but only consecrated and unconsecrated people. God's not looking for experts, God's not looking for Superman and Superwoman. 
for uncommonly strong and resourceful people. God is looking for people who will simply take what they have in their hands and place it at His disposal. Extraordinary moves of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. God can do uncommon things with common people and common tools if they are released to Him. Yes, God may ask us to do things which we deem impossible to us, but it simply leads us to greater dependence upon Him. Verse 3 in chapter 4, Moses threw his staff on the ground. It became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. God does ordinary miracles every day. The sun rises, the moon comes, the stars come out. But he longs for opportunities to do the unexpected and extraordinary. God is challenging us to dare to believe in the impossible as a normal way of life and faith. Someone has put it this way. The God of the Bible can do whatever he pleases. And what pleases him is to show off his power for his glory and renown. So give him the opportunity. If we have the audacity to ask, God has the ability to perform. And we know that because centuries later, Jesus said, John 14, verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Our faith and God's faithfulness equal the miracles to the glory of God. For what are you willing to ask God? What is He asking you to do for His glory? Now you'd think that by now Moses would be convinced there was no way not to say yes. But he had another excuse. Lack of eloquent speech. Verse 10 of chapter 4. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I love that phrase. Pardon me, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses was refusing to recognize and value the gift of speech God had given to him. But have you ever felt that way? Lord, I, I don't think well under pressure. I don't express myself very well. I'll just bumble what it is you want me to say. There are others more capable and qualified to speak than me. But then God promises to provide. Verse 11. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. In other words, Moses, your speech will be sufficient. I will make it so. I will provide. I'll supply your words. And we know he does. Because centuries later, Jesus told his disciples, Matthew 10, 19, and 20, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father 
speaking through you. Now, we may never be in danger of arrest, though we never know. But no matter what opposition or questioning or tough circumstances we face, God, through his Holy Spirit, will give us the words to say. I cannot count the times he has given me words to say, and I've wondered, where'd that come from? Oh, yeah, that's where it came from. And it impacted someone else in ways I could never have imagined. We will be given what to say. Certainly, Moses was now ready to say, yes, Lord. Nope. He had one last excuse. Perhaps the most honest one of all. Verse 13 of chapter 4. But Moses said, here it is again, pardon me, pardon your servant, Lord. Please, send someone else. Finally, the truth came out. Moses wanted to say no. He simply did not want to do it. How often has that been the reason that you're hesitant to say yes to a call of God? We just don't want to. It's not what you had in mind. It's too uncertain. It will take too long. It will upset your lifestyle. But hear this great response from God starting in verse 14 of the fourth chapter. Then the Lord's anger burned. I love that phrase. The Lord's anger burned against Moses. God had had enough. He said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth, and that is if you were God to him. So God gave Moses help. Or did he? He sent Aaron as a spokesperson. And yet it was Aaron who helped lead the people in the making of the golden calf. And so often led the people astray. How much better would it have been if Moses had trusted God in the first place? Contrast Moses with Jesus. In agony in Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood as he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In all honesty, probably no surprise to you, I confess I've used all those excuses in my life and ministry. Always trying to persuade God of, of my will and my way. Back graduating from seminary, all excited for ministry, God called us to move three times in three and a half years. Believe me, I had a few Moses conversations with God. And yet his call and will has always proven best. This truth led someone to write, God has his best things for the few that dare to stand the test. He has his second choice for those who will not have his best. It is not always open ill that risks the promised rest. 
The better often is the foe that keeps us from the best. Give me, O Lord, the highest choice. Let others take the rest. Their good things have no charm for me, for I have got thy best. And so you've heard about God's presence, personality, performance, power, and provision. Before God called Moses, Moses was a sheep herder on the run. But after the call, when he finally, though hesitantly, obeyed, he became the leader of God's people. And look what God did through him. Someone summarized Moses' life this way. Moses was 40 years in Egypt learning something. He was 40 years in the desert learning to be nothing. And he was 40 years in the wilderness proving God to be everything. Perhaps this scripture and this message is a burning bush for you. Maybe God in this way or some other way is trying to get your attention. Here's the bottom line. If God wants someone else to do the job, he won't ask you. Here's the question. Are you following your plans or God's? God's words to us are the same as they were to Moses so many years ago when he accepted the call. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. What are you willing to release to God? What is God asking you to take and use? What's in your hands? What do you have that God has asked you to throw down so he can fill it with with his divine power and multiply its impact? Is it your time, your talent, your treasure, your money, your job, your willingness? What does God want you to do? How does God want you to be a blessing? What does God want to do through you? And what does God want Hope Church to release to him? What unexpected miracle is God waiting to perform so that people will believe in him and give him glory? Here again, these words from Jesus from John 14. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Our faith. God's faithfulness equal miracles to the glory of God. And we repeat something I quoted earlier. The God of the Bible can do whatever he pleases, and what pleases him is to show off his power for his glory and renown, so give him the opportunity. So here's your main takeaway question. What's your excuse? What if you really, truly trusted God. What would your life look like? What would you do if you really, truly trusted God, truly believed that He would be present with you? What would you do if you really believed that God is? That He's the way maker? That He's the answer to all your needs? What would you do if you truly believed that God was faithful to His Word, will share His power through you? What promises would you claim that he provides? 
Are you willing this morning to truly trust God? A little boy was walking down the beach, spied a matronly woman sitting under a beach umbrella on the sand. He walked up to her and he said, Are you a Christian? She said, Yes. He said, Do you read your Bible every day? She said, Yes. He said, Do you pray every day? She said, Yes. And then he said, Will you hold my quarter for me while I go swimming? What do you need to give to God as you head out into the waters of life? I invite you to trust in Jesus and say yes to Him. Lay before Him your needs, your fears, your challenges, your dreams, your excuses. Give Him your quarters, whatever they may be. And just see, see what God will do. Let's pray. Lord our God, the bush still burns because you still call. And in a sense, we have been standing on holy ground this morning because in a special way, you move among us. So deal with each of us. Stir our hearts. May you be glorified in the way we respond and move. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.